Well, here we are at the end of August already. I was thinking the other day, uh, when I looked at my calendar, that we will move into September this week. And so if you went back two week, or two months, we would be about the 4th of July. And if you went forward two months, we'd be to November. It's amazing how time presses on, isn't it? Now, if the weather would realize that we are moving towards fall, right? Now, I'll, uh, I'll enjoy, at least try to, from, from inside, uh, the, warm, the warm weather. Kansas will give us all four seasons, no doubt. My grandpa used to say, if you don't like the weather in Kansas, and this was not unique to him, if you don't like the weather in Kansas, wait a, an hour, right? <laughs> <laughs> it may change. Well, good. Hope you all have had a good week. Hope you've been able to stay, stay cool. I think we got another week kind of similar, and we'll go from, go from there. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, not, not in depth, but I do plan for the uh, focus of my thoughts to be on the book of James. Martin Luther, the great reformer. Many folk recognize him as the father of the Protestant Reformation. He, he, he wasn't even sure James should be part of the canon of scripture. <laughs> Paul, Paul, with his emphasis on, on, uh, on grace, and, and you know, it is, it is not by works you are saved, it is uh, a gift of God. Uh, Luther, in his context, in, uh, uh, trying to help the uh, the the, uh, the church recognize that uh, the grace of God was not something you could pay for on your own, he thought that James, with his emphasis on the balance between faith and and works, James, uh, if you if you if you use Paul and James and and Paul saying uh, it is by grace you are saved, and then James. Uh, echoes or chimes in and says, Amen, Brother Paul. However, however, the evidence of uh, uh, the efficacy of that grace will be your life. It will be the works. The two go hand in hand. I hope that our thoughts over the next few weeks are an encouragement to you. There's a story of a young man who was embarking on a career in sales. He was a very affable, likable, uh, charismatic young guy who was able to get along with folk and be persuasive in his uh, presentations to them. Not long after he, be he uh, began, his company assigned him to a specific territory in the remote portions of the Midwest. And he was tasked with going and knocking on the doors of farmhouses and talking to experienced, rugged, weathered farmers about the latest farm equipment that his company had to offer. And he was excited as he laid the paperwork uh, out on his table and, and went through it and worked on his sales pitch. The tagline being, better farming through better equipment. And he was ready as he knocked on the 
door of the first farmhouse. He went on to the second, and they were receptive, but not yet ready to commit. So he uh, un, 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 unflapped, undiscouraged, he went to the third farmhouse, and there sat the farmer on his front porch, rocking on his rocker. And the young salesman bounced up the steps, and he says, uh, Sir, can I show you a catalog of modern farm equipment? And the old farmer said, Nope. Well, well, sir, the salesman said, Don't you want to know how to improve your farming methods? And the farmer said, Son, I don't farm half as good now as I already know. Hmm? And I don't farm half as good now as I already know. In a very real way, the book of James reminds us as Christians of what we already know, of what we're already supposed to be doing, but maybe we have gotten distracted or maybe we have just gone our own way and not done those things that God has called us to do. Knowing what to do is not as important as doing what we know. James 1. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, James would no doubt add today. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. Oh God, give us wisdom as we consider these words, not just to hear them, but to do them. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. There it is. I should probably just sit down right now. <laughs> James in those nine or ten verses. There's a lot of words there. In fact, my font was probably a little small. But this is a summary. And this is really what James says through the remaining four or five chapters of his epistle to the church. Receive the word. Do the word. And recognize true religion. Don't be deceived. In, 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 in thinking that God is, is looking for 
folk who could win Bible trivia. Let me confess something to, to you all. Last night, we went with Dana's grandma and mother to the service at Christ the King Catholic Church. And I've gotten to know the priest there over the last several years. I am completely impressed with him, his love for the Lord, his commitment to the people of the parish there. I just really appreciate him as a colleague and a brother in ways that I've probably never had with a Catholic priest before. Last night, his encouragement to the congregation was to get in the Word. Now, as a, I already referred to Martin Luther, but as, as a Protestant, sometimes we think, well, about time, right? Come on. <laughs> and he was asking the folks who were gathered there about the focal point of Jesus' teaching being the Sermon on the Mount. And he decided to play a little game of impromptu Bible trivia. And he said to the congregation, kind of a unique approach in a, a service like that, he, he wanted a response. He said, what book of the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount in? And I was sitting next to a kid who was here this morning. He has blonde hair. And I said, uh, say Matthew, say Matthew, say Matthew. And he said, Matthew, Matthew, I don't want to say out loud. And somebody else on the other side of the church, they called out, Matthew. And Father Nick Blaha, the priest, he says, yes, Matthew. He, he, said, he says, we, we, we should really he, he encourage them. Maybe this weekend, spend some time reading through the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, now, and I knew he was going to ask. I was already thinking, yeah, okay, okay, maybe I can convince this kid next to me, give him the chapter. And he says, oh, okay, well, Matthew's, a, you know, a, a 28 chapters in the book of Matthew, we, we're going to have to figure out where it is. Wh where is the Sermon on the Mount? And I knew, I was, I, I, I was a million percent convinced. I said, Jonah, four, five, and six. Matthew 4, 5, and 6. Matthew 4, 5, and 6. Somebody says, uh, he didn't see it. Somebody says, uh, chapter 5. Father Nick says, yeah, chapter 5. Chapter 6, chapter 7. And I thought, oh, that's right. I, I was so certain it was 4, 5, and 6. I was talking to my dad last night. I think Matthew 4, I should have looked. I think chapter 4 of Matthew may include Jesus' baptism. I, I, I don't know for... Maybe Jesus' temptation, actually. Maybe temptation. So after the service, I was talking to Father Nick. I said, hey, great encouragement to get into the Sermon on the Mount. I gave him that story. And, and I, I said, I was so glad I was so glad that Jonah did not say, Chapter 4! Huh? Here I am, and he knows, he knows of my work here. And uh, this Baptist pastor telling his kid the wrong chapter. 
I was thinking about that in light of James' encouragement. Now, way more important than knowing that it is Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is living out, living out the teachings of that great section of Scripture. First, we have to know it. You can't do what you don't know. As we say sometimes in the insurance world, as it comes to handling claims, you don't know what you don't know, right? When, you learn, when you're learning a new skill or a trade or a job, there are things that just have to come with time. So James' encouragement to his readers, his hearers, is to hear what is being said, and he uses this, this interesting illustration of a mirror. thinking of the mirrors in my own house I can almost see my reflection in fact I can as I line myself up right now I can see my reflection I can't really make it out but just a, enough kind of my 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 head and so on and that door the the slot window in that door or or our rear view mirrors that we hopefully looked in this morning as we were backing out or even even our phones you know most phones have a camera and you can flip it around and see what you see what you look like now of course the first century world was very different in terms of the places they had to to check their appearance and and so the the part of what james is saying because they didn't have as many options they they had to be able to take in what it was that they looked like and to make changes in those moments as needed, as appropriate. And James is saying that the Word of God reflects to us as a mirror. And how ridiculous it would be for us to wake up in the morning in 21st century life, and I woke up this morning and I walked past a mirror and thought, well, i got a lot of work to do before I'm ready to go to church. Maybe I didn't spend enough. Maybe I didn't do enough work. But you know how you wake up sometimes and you, you look like you slept, right? How ridiculous it would be for us to look in the mirror and make no changes, to make no improvements, for it to have no impact on us. James is saying that if we read Scripture and don't act on it, that is precisely what we are doing. As opposed to allowing Scripture <clears throat> to transform and to mold us and to dictate the way we live, the risk, if we are only concerned with winning Bible trivia, is that it doesn't really matter. In the first century world, especially in ancient Greece, you think of the philosophers and the theater, and the way that various characters in plays would put on masks, similar to these in the slide. To be able to play a character and then to turn around and grab another mask and put it on and, and play a different 
character. By doing that, a single character could play many roles. One could easily slip into another role and be a different character, a different self. In fact, I think, I'd have to go back and look, I think our English word hypocrite, there's a connection in Greek theater in that word meaning to be something you are not, to represent something that you are not. James is arguing and encouraging a self in which beliefs and behavior within a church are consistent with one's actions and attitudes beyond the doors. To make sure that these doctrines and teachings are things that we live out, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to become angry. And that, of course, is a lifetime process. It is not something that happens instantaneously. It's the process of what other uh, writers in the New Testament call sanctification. This Christ-likeness. This bent towards the things and the ways of God that we've committed ourselves to for as long as God gives us breath on earth. We're progressing in our following of the Lord Jesus. So this day, the only day that we can, uh, we can, uh, what's the word, not have impact, but the only day that we have choices to make in all of the days of our lives, the past is done, right? We can't go back and change any of those. Tomorrow awaits tomorrow, but today is the day that we will have opportunities to put the word into action. So as you and I leave this service today, we go forth having prayed, sung together, confessed our sins, reaffirmed our belief in the Lord Jesus, listened to the word, and now we go. And now we go to encounter our world. A world that is looking for a people whose words and actions show that the reflection that Scripture has on our own lives is making impact. Jesus' message is clear, but it is not easy. G.K. Chesterton was a British author and apologist. He wrote, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Many of us know the scriptures. We know what is necessary. We know what is right and wrong. And now, today, we are called to put those things into practice. We are called to not forget what we look like. Oh Lord, we pray that the mirror of your word would implant deeply into our hearts and our minds. Allow us, as the hymn writer says, to say to you, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. To mold us and make us as the potter does the clay.
Lord, maybe there is a particular <clears throat> obstacle of a sin that we have struggled with for decades. Maybe there is a matter that you are calling us to act on today for the first time. We pray that we would recommit ourselves to living out our commitment to you, to not be only hearers of the word, but also doers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.